coffee for Seth. No milk, no sugar. Right here. Thank you. You're listening to No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today Seth will be talking to speaker, author, and lessonly CMO Kyle Lacey. So I'm super pumped to have Kyle Lacey on the show today. Kyle is the CMO for Lessonly Learning Management Software uh, System here in town. And he has one of the most recognized marketing and brand footprints here, not only in the city, but the Midwest with what Lessonly's doing. He's built this phenomenal team, but he's got a, I think he's got a phenomenal track record just with him as an entrepreneur and working for Exact Target and Salesforce and then doing some stuff out in Boston and in the venture capital space and then coming back home and um, working with Lessonly. So excited to hear what he has to say. Kyle's probably the most real leader uh, you'll see. And he's a, an excellent thought leader on social. He's got a strong following on all the different platforms. So I think you're, you're in for a treat with just all the things that Kyle brings to the table. All right. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. A little free flow here, man. I, I was thinking about setting this up where we do kind of like a just quick context so people have a, a little bit of a, uh, a background on you. Just maybe a quick high level snapshot. A long time ago, it's the Paradise Cafe. <laughs> right? Seth and Kyle met for the first time over black coffee. Unfortunately, the Paradise Cafe doesn't no longer exist. I know, man. I really enjoyed that Caesar salad too. <laughs> it's terrible. That was uh that was back in like two thousand five six something like that. Were you six? six. I think it was six. yeah six. When, you... It was right after I had graduated. Okay, I remember you had. I think you had brand swag, or you were just starting that up. Yes. Yeah. And you and I got together and we talked about let's like create a mastermind. And I was like, I like this guy. He's he's legit. You had like a million LinkedIn followers, and you were the Twitter <laughs> guy in the city. You were you were probably in the process of writing Twitter marketing for dummies, weren't you? Yeah, uh, it was a little bit before okay. that, but it was it had to be, like it was probably two thousand seven, honestly, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But uh, yeah, and then we started we started our group of business leaders that last. I mean, that let Proximus lasted a couple of years. Yeah, right? I think I think we ran with it for four or five years and then it kind of faded off. But you know, it's cool is the relationships that were built during that time. They, mm-hmm. they endured. By the way, I was just talking to Mason before I hopped on with you and uh, he was telling me to give you some shit and just mess with you. So. <laughs> give me, cause I've never been inside of his house and I've lived next to him for like two and a half years, three years. Now Mason, Mason's Mason. Um, we just, I can throw a, I can throw a rock at his house right now. And maybe I should. You're, you're on Delaware, right? Yeah. We just moved back down into the area. We're out of uh, right in between Meridian and Illinois on 43rd Street. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we're we're pumped to be back in the in the area. Welcome back. Thank you, man. Well, uh, welcome to uh, Milk No Sugar. We're talking about you know real life in business beneath the sweetener, man. So what's Great. the nitty gritty, Love it. you know, black coffee, what, what life is all about. 
that's today, man. So thanks for making time. It's great to, to connect with you. I thought, you know, just for uh, a little bit of context in our audience, if, if those who don't know you, you're Indy's most recognized marketing guru, but um, could you give just a little bit of a snapshot, just background, how you got to, to where you're at today? Yeah. So, so when we met 2008, I had just started a agency called Brand Swag, which is basically social media consulting. It's the only thing I could sell it at 25, 26 years old, or, or the only thing people would buy from me at 25, 26 years old. So we started out with like designing MySpace pages for churches and we didn't sell any of them. And then I started getting to Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and it started working really well. Uh, so through that, I was introduced to a company locally here in Indy, which is called Exact Target. And Exact Target was an email marketing software. I had done some consulting with them on Twitter, like how do their salespeople sell Twitter? And then when I ran my business into the ground and it was a complete failure, which is another, you know, probably another podcast, I joined Exact Target. And that that was that was my first foray into venture back software. And Exact Target, the year I joined, I guarantee you we hired 500 people that year. It was a rocket ship. At Exact Target, I spoke at about I was speaking at about 40 conferences a year. Ran a content marketing team. We were producing content in seven countries and four different languages. We IPO'd. We were bought by Salesforce. I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to work at a Salesforce because it was just too big. And that's when I joined OpenView, which is a venture capital firm out of Boston. Got my MBA in software, basically. And then joined Lessonly, who's where I started as VP of marketing four years ago last week and now CMO. And we've gone from 50 people to 200 and on any given day. I think it's about 215, 220 now. Yeah, you guys have crushed it, man. You've had phenomenal growth. And I appreciate you sharing that. I remember I was always really, really sad to see you leave when you went to Boston. I thought India had lost a, a true talent and it was good to have you back. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it did. And I encourage anybody to do this as long as you boomerang back for the most part. It gave me a confidence that I didn't have before because I made it in a tier one city, right? I, I went to Boston. I was able to do it. I was able to get jobs in Boston. I was competing for jobs in Boston. And the lesson the opportunity was just perfect for me. And that's why we came back. It did wonders to my imposter syndrome and everything else because, you know, I had done it. A lot of it's about confidence, man. But today, you know, no milk, no sugar. It's all about, you know, business, you know cutting out the sweetener and getting to the, the the real griminess of just leadership, building a business, you know, you know, not necessarily the highlight reel, but more more so about, you know, what's what's real when you pull back the curtain a lot of times in marketing, you can kind of dress things up. I wanted to hear from you real quick. You mentioned you talked about brand swag. You ran, you said you ran your business into the ground. What, what remind me again, what was the uh, what was the hurdle there? How'd you guys drop that? I mean, there was, there was tons of hurdles, you know, you, we, we, you know, we were in it four to five years and it's really hard to run a business. And it was really hard to run a business with a bunch of people that had no idea what we were doing. We were all young. Most of us, we'd brought on a business partner and we just couldn't figure out the best way to grow the business. And so I think one day I just looked up and I was really, really unhappy. I felt like I was 80 years old and I was 27 <laughs> right. And that's not, that's not good at 27 yeah. years old. Like you shouldn't feel like you're 80. That was kind of the, that was where I was just like, I'm done because a lot of the growth of the company was selling my time and we couldn't figure out how to scale it. So much of my ego was built into that company. 
I think a lot of my ego is still built into my career, but it was my identity. So I had to remove myself from that situation because it was very, very unhealthy, both physically as well as mentally. What I've picked up from you over the years is you've got great self-awareness. And uh, there isn't... Yeah, the, the, the key is just acting on that self-awareness. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, <laughs> it takes years to, I think, develop that as a leader and as a human being, man. That's the EQ and being aware is, is, is key as a leader. You talked about Leslie and when you came on board, you were, you were recruited away from your, your VC out Boston and then you jump on board with Lessonly, which is in startup mode and you guys scale up. You said 220. You've built teams. Talk to me about less about the highlight reel, but like what have you learned? Like what have been some good key learnings or mistakes along the way of building? Because you've got a phenomenal marketing team. Everyone recognizes Lessonly. Give me some feedback there. Oh, uh, there's quite a there's quite a bit. I, I'd say the number one learning for me over the last four years has been the the importance of empathy in leadership. I have zero empathy. I'm like, we took an, an IQ leadership test at Lessonly, and there were five questions on empathy from zero to hundred. I scored zero on all five of them. I am not a very empathetic person. However, I've had to learn that um, as the teams have grown and as we've dealt with situations like the past year, right? Like the pandemic, everybody going remote, the civil right issues and all that stuff, right? So empathy, you also have to have empathy because of the continuous rapid improvement that happens within a venture-backed software company. Because a lot of us do not have an EBITDA line, we grow for the sake of growth. And when you grow for the sake of growth, Things break all the time. And when things break all the time, it's very stressful. And mental health is very important. So having that empathy side, but also being obsessed with the idea that you have to constantly improve. So that's the second one. Rapid, continuous improvement. The third thing is uh, being irrational. Too many times marketers, business leaders spend way too much time trying to understand the data behind a decision when sometimes you just need to be a little bit irrational to be creative and it works. When you have irrationality, creative people stick around and they enjoy doing what they do. That's rich. Uh, the empathy part, it's funny that you were so low on that. Oh, I'm, I was like, Max, our CEO at Lessonly, my boss, he couldn't believe it. But it was it was terrible. Like, it was so <laughs> bad. Everybody else was between 50 and 100. And I was I bottomed out on all of them. That's funny, man. Talk to me about the pandemic. You guys went through a lot. You know, last year, we all did. You know, if, if you had a, a key learning or, you know, where you fell short, like what, what sticks out there for you? I have two. One was personal and it was the fact that I actually enjoyed it for the most part. Now, outside of the stress and everything that was happening, you take 180, 190 people that are all in one office and just move them all remote within a couple of weeks, especially if we have outbound sales reps that some of them live alone. And I can't imagine like cold calling people in the middle of a pandemic living in some apartment in downtown Indy that you can't leave. It kind of applies to the empathy stuff that I was talking before is that I had to put myself in the situations that everybody else was in, right? Like Leslie was very fortunate. We raised money in March. We didn't fire anybody. Like we grew over the pandemic and now we're opening up again and we have 60 open headcount in Q1, right? So, but I had to put myself in our customers. Like, can you imagine being a sales leader and getting cold calls from people in March? I had to learn how to be patient, be empathetic to understand the needs of my team because it's, it was 30 something people and, and half of them lived alone. The other half had families, like kids were not like, there's just so much that was going on that you just had to stop and say, it's okay if you need a break. It's okay if you need to take three days and not work. 
because your mental health is more important on whether or not you can set a meeting or whether or not we need to do this click rate optimization test or whether or not we need to figure out budgets for X, Y, and Z. That was hard for me. It did not come naturally for me. The first couple of months of, the, of being remote, I had to force a lot of it. But eventually, it started becoming part of my le- of, of how I thought of myself as a leader. And now, it, now it's very natural for me to be more a little bit more introspective before I made make decisions. I noticed on LinkedIn, you had some posts last year about themes like that, where it's okay to take a break and like call a timeout mentally or just check out and just go do whatever you need to do to get your mind right. I, I, I stuck to that. I use that quite a bit in my our weekly meetings with, with our teams. So it was really important kind of, I think, gravitating to that. I think a lot of our, our, our teammates that were younger that didn't, hadn't been through a situation like this before and, and teammates that were more experienced, it was just a good all around trying to figure that out. You do this very well. It's just saying it. There were multiple times last year where I, I was in a team meeting. I go, guys, I am, I, I am unhappy right now. I'm not in a good place. I'm going to take the afternoon. Because you can say it all day long, but if you're still working 12 hours a day, your team's not going to follow you. So at Leslie, we actually had to implement... Um, a take five by December twelve five, so December fifth, and it was a two month window where every single manager had to get their teammates to put five days that they were taking off, and we kept track of all of it to say you have to leave, like you 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 have to disconnect. We don't care, you have to do it because some people won't do it. Yeah, they they won't. They'll keep going and then they'll burn out. Do you have to say it as a leader? I think you need to be real. And that's something I really appreciate you as a leader, man. You're just, you call it how you see it. You kind of straight talk and there's no bullshit. That's why I wanted to have you on as a guest, man. You're just one of the more real people. And it's like, we need more leaders that are more real. You're the same, you're in the same boat. I mean, you and I kind of feed off of each other in that regard. Look, we're all terrified. None of us have any idea what we're doing, right? Let's just say that out loud right now. I don't care if you're the CMO of a public company or a startup or a president of a staffing firm, you have no clue what's going on most of the time. And, and, and the sooner that you can say that to yourself, the sooner that you're going to grow as a leader, because everybody else is thinking the same thing. I don't care where you're at in life. Talk to me, man. What, what do you like? Just to be real, man, what do you, what do you suck at? Like, what, what are you not good at? Give me some weaknesses. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pausing because I'm thinking of too many weaknesses. I am great at the idea generation phase of something. I am really bad at implementation and seeing something through. Like if I'm a project, if I'm a project manager on a campaign or something at Lessonly, usually my team is telling me you can't be because it just falls off. Like it's terrible because I'm just terrible at, I can get things started and get team, like I can build teams around things and they do great job. But if I'm involved, it goes to shit most of the time. I'd say the other thing is uh, I am not I I think constantly about being balanced and I think what I've like work life balance I think what I've figured out is that there's there's just no such thing as work life balance and you have to be pretty focused on shutting off and I am not great at it I'm terrible at it actually but what I've been trying to do is say hey you need to put your phone in the bedroom from 5 to 9 p.m. hey don't work after 9 p.m. It's going to be shitty work anyway, right? So uh, those are probably the two things, two most important things, because if I work late and I don't get good sleep, like I'm terrible. I'm a terrible human being. Sleep is everything for me, and, and I'm just not great at that either. So 
Those would probably be the weaknesses. Do I get to do I get to reverse the question on you? Is that part of this podcast? You know, you talked about like getting shit done and executing on like if you got a project, like seeing it through. If that's my only focus, I could kind of do that okay, but I'm not great at it. I'm not good on the detail front. And I, I suck sometimes at just having difficult conversations. I'm a, more of a harmony guy. So when it's exercise that muscle a little bit, but it's taking me some time to get there. And it's just, it's just not natural, man, like having tough conversations. But I would say those are the two things that I suck at. Yeah, difficult conversations are not easy. That's that's something that Max is our our CEO is really good at. I mean, he's good at the nonviolent communication. I'm better at the difficult conversation. I'm not. I'm I'm terrible at the the adverse of that, which is the you know I I, I need to remind myself to be optimistic and to to be, which which comes very naturally to you, right? In the coaching mentality of being to pump people up and be the I don't know the best. The rah 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 is that the right cheerleader man? You it's can all tell good. I, play, I didn't play sports, but yeah. And, and the coaching aspect is does not come naturally to me either. Talk to me about being a thought leader. You're you're well well known and tracked on social. You got a strong following. What, what what's tough about being a thought leader on social media? I know it's kind of a, a weird question, but like anything that like comes to you that is difficult. Yeah, the number one thing happened to me recently. If you have an audience, be very, very sure that you are you are keeping up with what you're saying to that audience. I had a post. This was a little. This is sometime last year where I posted that my my network is very white, a bunch of white people. My LinkedIn network is a bunch of white people, and I posted that and I said I want to meet I want to meet more I want to meet different types of people, and I had that post got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments messages. And I dropped the ball on quite a few following up with quite a few of them. And there's a young woman who sent me a message and like called me out on it. She's like, I introduced you to four people. You never, you never followed up with them. And and you're the problem. She was very nice about it. She didn't say you're the problem, but it made me realize that, you know, what I'm very good at is, is randomly posting things off, off the top of my head. It takes me 30 seconds and they usually are pretty good. That's what I'm good at. If you do that and then you forget the fact that you asked for something and you didn't follow up with it, that's a problem because you're not delivering on the value, the value of a community, the value of of expanding experiences. Hana, who who called me out on it, we had she's going to be she was on the Revenue Diaries, my podcast, and we talked about it and she called me out on it and she said it was just bullshit that you didn't follow up with people. And, it, and that was that's what's hard about it, is that you have to remember that people people care and they're watching and they're listening. And if you don't give them feedback, they are going to come after you if they really want something that could be as small as I need an introduction into Lessonly to get a job to I just introduce you to five of my friends. and You never followed up. And that's stressful. It is stressful, man. I'm glad you shared that, man, because that just kind of made me realize I need to step my game up. Especially like I'm sure your LinkedIn inbox is blown up just with all the followers and posts that you have. But any, any other thoughts on that just on LinkedIn and your inbox? This is very tactical, but there's a feature in LinkedIn now where you can put an away message in your inbox to where anybody sends you a message, it will automatically send them a note that says, hey, if this is really important, you should text me or email me or something. Outside of that, you just have to set the precedent. You have to say, hey, guy, like I'm going to post that we have 60 job recs open. If you contact me about being a recruiter, I'm never going to respond to you, right? You Like sales pitches, 
I put the context in my away messages, my email inbox. If you want to pitch me your product, you can give a hundred dollars to donorschoose.org and then I'll I'll we'll put it on the calendar. So <laughs> I, I love it. I've raised a lot of money over the past four years. It's just people understanding like everybody's out for their own good. And that could be some random person out of Dallas who really wants an account executive role at Lessonly and I never respond to the message. That stresses me out. And it shouldn't really. But you just have to you have to set the precedent with people that sometimes I'm not going to respond. And you might need to send me two or three messages before I see it. I think that's you can apply that across the board for any type of leader, whether they're in an organization or you're a thought leader on social. You definitely need to engage your community and, and have kind of a have some tools to kind of protect yourself. But at the same time, and you got to put in the effort if you're going to. You build that audience the right way. Well, and it's why, it, like, why do you want to do it? I mean, I I, I do it because it's it's so the environment's so rich. You know, you meet tons of people from different backgrounds, and that's why I do it. It was the fact that some of my posts like get good traction is just just because I do it a lot, honestly. Um, and that, and for me, it's just the the community of people that's important. Been watching your social game, especially on LinkedIn, man. You've been a inspiration. Do not go look at my YouTube account. That's all you need to do. I, I think that. I actually, I had some, there were some videos on there from when probably around the time that we met when I had hair and I and you I had spiked all up spiked up. That That's probably why I don't have it anymore. But um, some of that content doesn't need to be seen by anybody. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I remember that man. That was great. I had a white. I had a pearl. It was a pearl Cadillac. It was it was like driving a driving a couch. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. It was I, my, my business partner's grandmother gave it to us for free as a tax write-off. And I, you know, I was making maybe 18 grand a year, maybe. And I remember driving that thing and it had, it was one of the first ones that had a CD player in it because it was a 94 and it was, and it had air suspension in the back and none of the air was in it. So it bottom out every time we went over a speed bump or anything like I, I love that car. It's a great car. So talk to me, man, a little bit about life out in Boston. You went to this VC. Are you from Anderson, Indiana? Or where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Anderson. I was born in Spokane, Washington, but I lived in I lived in Anderson from two years old to graduating college. Yeah, that's right. So you went to Anderson University and then, you know, fast forward, you're in your career and then you, you hop over to uh, Boston. Is it Open View? You worked there, venture capital back company work with a lot of software companies, what, like best key learning and, and maybe some reality that hits you in the face out there. Anything that pops out? Key learnings were the important, I mean, we've talked about this pretty much the whole podcast, but the importance of a network. Like I, I got the job at OpenView because Scott Dorsey, who's the CEO of Exact Target, knew the founder of OpenView who had been an investor in Exact Target. When they reached out for me to the role, Scott was very familiar and reached out to me and encouraged me to take it. Like Lessonly, Scott's on the board. And the people that I met at OpenView were amazing, right? Like the the network was amazing. We're talking like just the and then learning the investment side of of what it takes to get Series A, Series B type checks. The hard part was when I realized that I I didn't want to do the investment side. What happened was I had kind of a um, an identity crisis at OpenView, and this was towards the end of the two years, where I didn't really want to do the marketing role that I was hired to do, and I didn't really want to do the investment role. And I was on the investment committee, and I was also doing marketing. And to Scott Maxwell's credit, who's the founder of OpenView, 
um, I think he saw it and he called me out on it. That was really hard for me to swallow was somebody telling me, Hey, I think it's, I think you've done what you're supposed to do here. Now you need to go back to be a practitioner. Somebody, I had to learn the importance of, of, of listening to things that you might not want to hear when you really know it's the truth. And because of that, I got the job, took the job at Lessonly and, you know, it's been great. And, and it's because Scott pushed me towards that decision when he knew it was the right decision, even though I was being kind of a dick about it. That's, that's rich, man. I think truth over harmony like that and having people speak into you and then being aware to listen and taking the time. Well, I didn't. That's the, that's the, that's the lesson is that I didn't want to listen to him. And so I was very mad. And the reality was I look back four years later, I was like, yeah, he, he was right. Absolutely right. I've had that problem in the past with, with leaders where, you know, I've wanted to, to move them into a different role and you kind of gently serve it up and then you serve it up again and then kind of want to hear what they want to hear. And um, they don't kind of read the tea leaves and lean into it and, and kind of use active listening. So that's, it's a good thought, man. I, I did want to ask, you know, on the back end, man, um, if there were any, any things that you really wanted to jump into. You're probably experiencing this too. I have never in my life seen this type of job environment. What's so interesting about it is all these soft, at least in our industry, all these software companies that had money held onto it over 2020 and didn't hire or they let go people. And when there was just the little, a little light at the end of the tunnel in November's when we saw it, everybody opened up and, and everybody has remote infrastructure now and everyone is hiring, right? And the one, the, why I bring that up is because as a leader, you definitely want to create an environment where people grow and learn and experience the things they need to experience in order to get to the career goals that they want to get to. And if that means that that person has to leave your company in order to get a better experience, you need to be okay with that as a leader, because your ultimate responsibility in my mind is to your team and to the company. And in my mind, it's your team first. So if my goal as a leader for my marketing team is I am going to invest in you as much as I can, as much as this company can, and I want you to grow as much as you can in this role. But my ultimate thing is that you get to your career goal, whether it's at Lessonly or not. And I think that I've started to realize that that's more of a reality as this new job market's opening. And we're doing, you know, we're hiring people all over the United States now and everybody else is. It's just so important to remember that the world is small, especially in venture-backed software. You're going to have multiple careers over a time frame. And the people that you are managing now more than likely will be the leaders of the future that you will be interacting with five, 10 years from now. I think people just get too too far in their head where they're like, they're leaving. That's bullshit. Like they're, they're leaving the company. Well, maybe it's a better opportunity. They did, they did what they were supposed to do. That's going to, it's a better opportunity for them. And you need to realize the fact that things change and people evolve and it's your responsibility to keep your team intact, but to keep your team happy as well. I've caught myself slipping doing that where I've, I've gotten salty. But I think you're right, man. When you take a step back, you realize that they're not necessarily going to always be on this climb with you. The employee, the teammate also needs to be respectful of the leader. Like if you're, if you're going to take a new role and you come to me and say, hey, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to be gone next week, then I'm going to let, I'll probably lay into you. 
because <laughs> you're not respecting both sides. But that's real, man. Right now, it's 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 you see, and you see it. I think with a lot of folks that had time to contemplate at home, and I think kind of a, a young, talented group that can maneuver around and, and leverage their tech and just savviness. It, you're seeing a lot of movement, and I, Lessonly is such a magnet for talent and such a great engaged culture. If this is happening at Lessonly, that's happening everywhere. You know, this is it, it's yeah. everywhere, which is crazy. So it, that was a. You and I had that text thread going on uh, a couple of weeks ago, kind of around that same topic. And that uh, it was alarming because we, we had a couple of folks um, jump ship and take a different role. Um, and it was, you know, it, it's it's tough because you pour into folks and you want to you want to invest in them at the same time. You just kind of like have the ego to step back and be like, you know, what, this isn't necessarily their path long term. If if you set it up to the to the point where it may like what I encourage my team to do is that if they are if they are receiving offers or they're being recruited, I want them to come to me and talk about the job offer. And I've had multiple situations where I've told somebody, yeah, this is uh, this. You need to take it. No, I was going to say out of like 10 people where that happens, where they leave, they don't go to you first, but they leave. How, how many times are they doing where they're coming to you ahead of time? Uh, 80% of them, pretty much. If you do 10, there's eight of them that are coming to me. The people that leave that we have good relationships, they're helping me and I'm helping them right now in our current jobs. I'm like, Hey, can you, can you check this out? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. And they give feedback because it, it ended in the right way because it was respectful on both sides of the equation. It comes back to your community thing. We think about social and the community and just doing people right. Like you might have a, a great you know, run of posts, but then on the back end, like how are you engaging your, your audience and how are you following up? A lot of the way that a lot of the leadership values that we all hold, you, Brian Shutt, Mason, myself, was all was kind of learned from this group that we had started. And then also just in the community. And Scott Dorsey is probably the great example of that. Greatest example for me. He took I met him randomly at a 40 under 40 event in 2009, 10. And my business was falling apart. And I was like, I randomly emailed him and said, Hey, would you just talk to me on the phone about my issues? He had met me for like five minutes at an IBJ party. And he talked to me for 45 minutes on his way home. 45 minutes. He was the CEO of a company, this 28 year old, like I had no idea what I was doing. And to this day, every decision I've made since 2012 has had is influenced by him. The Dorsey principle. The do- yeah, the Dorsey principle. He needs to write a book. I'll send this. I'll send this podcast to him and say, "Hey, listen, you should, to, man. Listen to minute five because we talk about you writing a book, the Dorsey principles. Maybe I should write the book, the Dorsey principles. But he. But that's an example of when you give back to the community, you'll receive, right? And that's it's like the Adam Grant book, Give and Take. Great book, right? The givers and the takers and making sure that you understand how to do that in your personal life and understanding why you're doing some of that stuff's important. Really, really proud of you, man. Just seeing you, you grow in your career, man. Love. You too. Revenue Collective, man. I'm, I'm kind of jealous, kind of looking on the outside in at what you guys are doing. There's some real sticky traction. You've done so much in such a short window of time. Yeah, it, but you know, it's about, it's being opportunistic, right? Like I was very lucky that I had randomly met a neighbor of a Wiley editor to write Twitter marketing for dummies, because if I hadn't wrote Twitter marketing for dummies, exact target wouldn't know I existed. 
I wouldn't have got the job at Exact Target. And then they paid for me to speak at 40 conferences a year for three years, right? You know, you just keep building upon the community. I could talk about that forever. It's just so important. I've, I've met way too many people that have had a job for 20 years and did not do any type of community development. And they pick their head up and they're like, what the hell am I going to do now? I didn't do anything outside of just going to work and my family, which is fine. But if you want, but if for some reason you look up one day and you're fired and you didn't create a community, it's going to be a hard road for you. And you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to do what Seth does. We probably net, we probably community build a little bit too much, but it's, uh, you just need to be able to know that you can go to five to 10 people if you need help. And what I tell my team is that my goal for them is that they don't have to use a resume to get a job when they leave lessonly, because you either, you're probably poached or you know somebody at the company and you move over to it. You should write a book, man, on this this idea of the Dorsey principles. That's a great idea. I might do that. How many books have you written, man? Is it three, four, five? Three. three. Have you have you contemplated writing any any other books? No. I, I've thought about writing a children's book, but that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But Ooh, I love it. I've thought about doing a children's book recently. Branding yourself, I think, is gonna have its fourth edition here in the next six months. I remember taking that book and sharing it with a Northwestern Mutual. I was doing like some sales training with some Northwestern Mutual reps. And I, I brought that up and I was like, look, I want to stand out. Yeah. I, I like, I, I mean, I only make like 200 bucks a year, but man, it still sells in Seoul, South Korea. <laughs> and then there's this, there's this MBA program out of Reno and they buy it every year. That's awesome, man. <laughs> you should show up one day to like, speak to that class or something, man. I did once. I did once, but I had been, I flew from, uh, I had flown from Australia for, for exact target to Reno. Cause I was speaking at a conference in Reno and I met this group the night I flew in from Australia. And I'm pretty sure the guy never told me, I think he's still the professor. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep at dinner with some of the students I'm pretty sure I did because I had I had had a beer, I'd had dinner, I'd been awake for like 28 hours or something like that. Look, I uh, I think we've talked about this the whole time, and I will I will continue to talk about the the importance of investing in other people and community development. You know, if anybody wants to reach out, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, I'm not on Facebook, so don't try. Uh, I do have a, a TikTok account buried somewhere, but definitely LinkedIn is where I'm usually at. I love it, man. Thank you again, man, for making time. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Liquid gold in your earphones, man. It's good stuff. I mean, I, I think some of the key takeaways for me with Kyle, he, I mean, he had a ton of rich content, but there was one that really stuck out. He talked about this imposter syndrome quote. And he was just like, we're all terrified. None of us have any idea what we're doing. And that's so true so often and leaders just want to stunt in front and act like they've got it all figured out. You know, I wish more leaders did that or bought into that. He was genuine and real about just empathy. I love what he talked about how uh, when he did his like empathetic scores from an EQ test that they did at Lessonly that he had a really shitty score and he is not naturally gifted with being empathetic. But he also knows that if you're going to run a business successfully, you got to have it. And it's not sustainable to roll that way. So being aware and having that growth in him on empathy was really, really interesting. 
I loved how we talked about how, you know, talent, especially right now after the pandemic, people have options to leave and people will always stay with you long term. He said that there's a graceful way to leave and there's a there's a great way to kind of build that open relationship. So if somebody's got an offer, they're having this conversation with Kyle ahead of time. And, you know, they're just talking about it and they're being real because he realizes long term, you know, a lot of a lot of the people, especially in his kind of software space, they're not always going to be with with them climbing up the mountain for 20 years. This is a two, three, four year gig and they're out or even shorter. And so just being open to everyone's got a different journey. Everyone's got a different climb. And you just got to be open to that. I think a lot of us leaders struggle with that from time to time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. Tag us with hashtag no milk, no sugar, or email us at no milk, no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.